Okay, we should be recording. And I'm very, very glad to be back. I'm sorry I've been gone so long. Shalom Aleichem. Shalom to every one of you. I noticed there are some, uh, good, there are some people uh, who are new to the class. And uh, it's been so long since we've been together. It's a wonder any of us probably remember anything that we were studying anyway. I'll, uh, <laughs> but as, as you well know, there's no way I can uh, review what we've learned so far. We can just hit some of the high points before we get started, and we have a lot of ground to cover, and I'm, I know we're, we won't be through with it tonight, but, but uh, through the rest of this month and probably next month also, we should be able to bring the whole idea of what we've been trying to do in this series on changing the way we think is, is what we were looking at, climbing the ladder or changing the way we think. And it's been mainly based upon... What we've been looking at is, has been based upon a couple of different commentaries, actually introductory commentaries, of a great rabbi, and may his memory be for a blessing, Rabbi Yehuda Lev Ashlag, who was uh, really, really and truly a master. And he was known as the Baal HaSulam. He wrote what was called the Sulam Commentary on the Zohar. And Sulam means ladder in Hebrew. So he was the Baal HaSulam, or the master of the ladder, are the owner of the latter, and uh, he really. What, the reason we have just been studying his introductions. Many people jump in sometimes to the study of Kabbalah, and they get uh, and they get all taken up in diagrams and and uh, studies of how uh, this particular spherot uh, partners with this one, and and matches and matings and all of these things, and uh, they honestly don't always understand exactly what they're talking about. The great Baal HaSulam wrote for us the main things, the things that we have to know, even before we can, of what uh, actually any study of Kabbalah is trying to tell us, and those things that we should know even before we begin to study the Kabbalah, uh, in something like the Zohar, which uh, literally what I've found through so many, many years of teaching students uh, Jewish studies, I've found that... Uh, we have to go here first because, and, and I wish I had known this, uh, you know, 25 years ago, to go to this kind of a thing first uh, because people normally in classes that I teach around the country, they come to the class and they are not thinking, I don't want to say thinking correctly, but basically that really is what it means. They're not thinking correctly or they're not thinking like the sages, like the sages of Israel and uh, the prophets, and Moses, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they just, they're not thinking the same way that they thought. And as a result, sometimes we come to the, to the wonderful Tanakh and, and the Torah, and both the written Torah and the oral Torah, and we are reading into it our own ideas, our own definitions of what things mean. And uh, it's not really accurate. So... It's taken me a long time to finally figure out that one of the first things we have to tackle at any time is literally changing the way we think. And that's what we've been trying to do in this series. We are in an introduction now. We've, we've already accomplished the introduction to the Zohar, and we have been in the introduction to the study of the Ten Sfirot. And, and those of you who have been with me have noticed that we haven't talked very much about the Sfirot. Uh, but that's because, that's simply because... Uh, we have to understand these things first before we can even begin to understand 
what what uh, things like the the Zohar or the Bahir or uh, Sefer Yetzirah, any of these great works of Judaism, are trying to teach to us. So, what we have learned so far, what we have tackled so far, uh, just just the high points of it, okay, uh, has been simply. Let me let me get the next one here, and let's see if yeah. Well, this is where we're gonna we're gonna pick up where we left off, but let me go over. Real quickly, just a few of the high points of what we've learned so far. Number one, we learned that, uh, and we have incorporated into this study also, uh, not just things from the Baal HaSulam, but many things from uh, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Wuzato, the Ramchal, uh, from uh, contemporary rabbi of today, Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsberg uh, of Gal Enai uh, Institute, and have learned many, many different things from them also that, that fits perfectly into this study. But the Baal HaSulam has tried to tell us something over and over again. And you remember he began by, by, by teaching us that thing that separates us. What is it that separates our soul from Hashem? And it's nothing more than, it's actually quite simple, even though when we begin to work on it, it becomes quite complicated. But it's quite simple. It's simply the will to receive for yourself alone. And that the main emphasis of the Torah, no matter what level we're studying it on, whether the Peshat, the simple level, the Remez, the hint level, Grosh, which is searching for an answer level, or the Sod, the secret level of Kabbalah, no matter what level, the Torah is there in order to help us transform that will to receive for ourselves alone into a will to receive in order to give, in order to give benefit to others, to share with others, and in order to give literally pleasure to Hashem in the sense of pleasing Him, that the motivation behind everything that we do should be one of those two things. Uh, Will it benefit someone else? Will it be beneficial for them? Or will it please our Father who is in heaven? And that really is the bottom line of that. And this is what brings you closer to Him in what uh, Rav Ashlag or the Baal HaSulam calls equivalency of form. Now, that was one thing that we looked at. Another thing that he has shown to us is that, and this is this leads up into what we are actually working on right now. You remember he gave us a very, very detailed uh, outlay of the way people perceive divine providence, the way they understand how God runs the universe. And just to mention, just a reminder of you uh, or to you, it begins in double concealment. In other words, Hashem's face, God's face is totally concealed from them. And God is totally concealed from them. They don't know if there's a God in the world, and if, and if there is, He's not doing a very good job. Not only that, but, uh, but uh, everything is totally by chance. Everything acts according to laws of nature or physical laws, all of these different, different ideas. And unfortunately, the vast majority of people are in that level of double concealment. They don't see God operating at all. Then the level of single concealment, where you know, from time to time, we th- we see something and uh, and you'll hear it said many times. Oh, that's a God thing. But to be truthful with you, with a correct understanding of God's providence, everything is a God thing, no matter what it is. From uh, from <laughs> from, well, I'll give you this instance that the rabbis talk about in the Talmud. Where they say, you know, if you take coins from your pocket and you meant to bring out 30 cents and you brought out 29 cents or or 31 cents and you have to go back to your pocket the second time, 
that this is a level of divine providence or that this is really by a decree from a heavenly court. That's just exactly how much everything that is happening here in this world is under God's control and under his supervision. But that's that level of single concealment is where sometimes, oh, well, we think he's doing it, and, but we're not sure, and maybe it's him, and maybe not. Maybe it's actually just chance, whatever, luck or mazel or whatever. Anyway, then you remember he, t- he taught us how through a process of studying Torah, not to, not to get anything out of it for ourselves, but studying Torah in order to please Hashem and begging him and asking him to open our eyes that we may behold the wonders of his Torah, we can become transformed in that first level of transformation where we begin to see God's face, where we begin to see and know that he is involved in absolutely everything is a transformation from the fear of sin, not from the fear of punishment of sin, but from the fear of sin in that we realize exactly the damage that sin causes, not just to us, not just to other people, but to all the universes, to every creature in the world, to the environment, everything is affected by it. And then the next process, the next transformation, comes from a transformation from the love of Hashem, the love of God, and that really is the final commandment. And that has four levels of of love in it, moving from a conditional love to a totally unconditional and eternal type of love. Now, the last time we were together, I looked back. I couldn't remember, but I looked back in the notes, and and basically we were we were looking at the saying both by Atana, Atana is a Mishnaic sage, and by uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer, uh, the son of Rabbi Shimon, where they are talking about how a person, by one mitzvah, can, can move the balance from the pan of liability to the pan of merit, not just for, for the individual, but for the entire world. And that's where we left off, and he explained that to us, I think, quite well, and you may have to go back... Uh, uh, either through Ray's archives or, or if he has them that you can get and remind yourself of what we were talking about because we just don't have time to repeat that. But we ended up with that idea in, in just what is on the slide right now where the Tana is talking from the point of view of the second and third levels of love so he doesn't even mention tilting the balance of the whole world. But when Rabbi Eliezer, the Ben Rabbi Shimon, is talking from the perspective of the fourth level of love which is eternal, unconditional, he says, which can only be envisaged through the perception of tilting of the balance of the entire world to the side of merit. That will actually make more sense in the ground we have to cover tonight. I put this slide up here just simply so that we could end with the end statement there, because this is where the Baal HaSulam wants to take us next. He said, we still have to understand exactly how, how does a person come to this wondrous level of consciousness? Now, for those of you who are familiar and have been in, the, in our class for quite some time, you know he is very meticulous, and he uses complete rabbinic logic to, to dissect and, and ter- literally tear apart a text or a saying from one of the sages to get out of it exactly what they mean, and he ties up all the loose ends. So you'll bear with me. It will be a really good exercise with you uh, uh, for the precision of language that we find in the Mishnah and in the Gemara and also in the Zohar uh, from the sages of Israel. Their language is extremely precise. And it also is a good exercise in developing, developing the ability to ask the right questions when we come to, to a text uh, in the Oral Torah 
or in the Torah itself. Uh, a text that doesn't that that uh, doesn't necessarily quite make sense to us, and we have questions about it. So this is an exercise in developing the right questions, also. Now, before we can go on any more from there, we need to or, or start tonight. We need to do this: uh, some definition of terms, uh, because these are terms that are going to be used throughout the uh, the Baal Hasulam's uh, presentation on what he wants to speak tonight on. The first one is a rasha. A rasha is literally what we think of as an evil or a wicked person. But we have to understand exactly what a rasha means when the sages use the term. In Kabbalah, a rasha is one who is not in contact with his soul and his inner consciousness. In other words, he's not in, in contact with the divine part of his soul, that part of the soul that comes from God. He's not, in a sense, ha, has not been, uh, not not in a sense, he has not literally not been born from above. You remember all of those lessons that we looked at where we saw that every level, that coming in contact with the divine part of our soul, or the divine soul that comes directly from Hashem, and it's being born over and over again where a point of light or a point of contact is born within the soul and you remember those five different levels of the soul one the one that's in the body with us nefesh and then ruach and then uh, neshama then chaya then yechida those five levels which that's an amazing subject in and of itself anyway so a rasha is one who is not in contact with his divine soul or his inner consciousness and, is, and because of that, he is liable to sin. And he is considered by the sages to be a living, he, he appears to be alive, but until he comes in contact with uh, his own divine soul, he is a living dead man. Now the next term is a benoni. A benoni uh, means an in-between person, an intermediate or an in-between person. It's also the word we use in modern Hebrew today for, for uh, average, an average person. But in the language of the sages, it's someone who is in between. Uh, they are in between being a rasha <laughs> and being a tzaddik. Okay, they're an in between person, and they are one. They are in contact with their soul, with with their divine soul, and they have a consciousness of the living God within them. But it's not necessarily at all times. In other words, we're not talking about 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, it's not. Uh, it, it's, there, there are times during the day, during the evening, whenever, that they uh, they they literally forget this consciousness of the living God within them, and uh, as a result, this is what makes them an in-between person. And in the in the, the Benoni is a person who is very aware of what's what is separating him from God, which is what the will to receive for yourself alone. And they're very aware of it. Okay. Now, the next level, the highest level, is what we call a tzaddik. A tzaddik literally translates as a righteous person, but it means much, much more than that. Uh, a tzaddik has an abiding consciousness at all times. That's the key. At all times of the love of God, uh, both within himself, the love of God that's within him, that divine soul that's within him, and as the one God manifests himself in the world, meaning no matter what it is, no matter what happens, it's all coming from the love of God. It's all because God is what? He is good, and he only does good, period. 
both to the most evil person and to the most righteous person. So that's some more, actually a little bit of review as we went along there. <coughs> Excuse me. But those are some terms that we'll try to have to remember as we go through this evening. Okay. With all that in mind, I suggest we just strike out and let me see how far we can get in the commentary of the Baha Sulam in his introduction to the Ten Sefirot. And he wants to begin by giving us more words from Chazal. Chazal is an acronym that uh, uh, literally says the wise ones, the sages, uh, may their memory be for a blessing. Okay? Now, he begins. He says, we need, we need to look at the following words of the sages in the Talmud. And here we go. And this quote actually will take a couple of pages here. So it's, it's quite a long quote. So bear with me. I'm just going to read his quote. When the community is in a time of trouble, a man should not say, I will go to my house and I will eat and drink and all will be well with me. For if he does so, then scripture says of him, and Hashem God proclaimed that day for crying and for mourning, for bearing one's head, and for wearing sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness, slaying of oxen and killing of sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And this is a quote in the Talmud from Isaiah chapter 22, verses 12 through 14. Then it goes on. The following verse states, And the Lord of hosts revealed himself in my hearing, and said, Surely this sin will not be atoned for by you till you die. And then it says, the Talmud says, this is the quality of the Benoni. But what does scripture say of the quality of the wicked, of the Rasha? Come you, I will fetch wine and we will get drunk and tomorrow shall be as this day. Quite interesting. Let's go on. He's not finished. This, this will be the rest of it. What follows after this verse, the Talmud says, The tzaddik perishes and no one takes it to heart. It is because of the evil that the tzaddik died. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 1. The Talmud goes on, But rather a man should share in the distress of the community, then he will merit to participate in the, cons in the consolation of the community. Now that is a very straightforward quote from the Talmud but I want to tell you I don't even begin to understand what's going on we can start and we can pick a few things out and say oh well, maybe this is what it means and maybe it's just trying to tell us that that a person is obliged absolutely they have to fulfill uh, feel the distress of the community and that is what the Talmud is trying to say but what is all this other stuff well the Baal HaSulam begins the explanation of what all this other stuff is by asking questions and by asking the right questions. Let's let him go on. He says, at a superficial glance, the passages of scripture brought here, they seem to have no connection. He said, with what the Talmud is trying to prove. Meaning, why, why did they quote these particular passages of scripture? They don't seem to have any connection with what the Talmud is trying to prove because the Talmud wants to bring scriptural proof that a person is obliged, they're under the obligation, to feel distress together with the community. If the community is in distress, you should feel that distress. If this is its purpose then, or if this is its purpose, then why does it distinguish, he says, between the quality 
of a Benoni and the quality of an evildoer, a Rasha. And now his next question, and this is very important. Why does the Talmud use the specific language of quality? The quality of a Benoni. Or the quality of the Rasha, the evildoer. Why does it not simply refer to intermediate people and wicked people? The word quality to him, he says, it seems to be superfluous here. Why even have this word in there at all? What is more, he says, how does the Talmud know that the scripture here is discussing the sin of one who does not share in the community's pain? Remember that scripture. Let's, let, let me go back, okay? I will go to my house. I will eat and drink and all will be well with me. And, the, and Hashem God proclaimed that day for crying, for mourning, for bearing one's head. But behold, joy and gladness, eating meat, drinking wine, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. How, does, how do, how do the, the, the sages know that that's discussing the sin of one who doesn't take part in the pain of the community? He says there is a further difficulty here. And that is that there does not appear to be any punishment for the quality Again, he's stressing the word quality of the evildoer or the rasha. But rather, it says, the tzaddik perishes and no one takes it to heart. If the wicked sin, what has the tzaddik done, he says, that that, that person should be punished? And by the, and, and not even that, he, uh, the Baha'u Salaam says, what would the wicked care if the tzaddik dies anyway? Why do they even care? Why would it even be important to them? Now, already we can already start to begin to plug all kinds of other things in here, but let's wait and let the Baal HaShulam finish his explanation, okay, which is going to take us a little while, and I, and I need to get on the stick here. <laughs> okay. So he begins, and he wants to talk about explaining all of these questions, but first what he's done is he's really tore the thing apart, and he has asked, he has formulated the correct questions. And now by answering those questions, we will eventually come to understand what Chazal, what the sages of Israel are trying to tell us in the Talmudic passage to begin with. Okay? And by the way, all of these activities we are doing, all of these exercises that the Baal HaSulam is taking us through, that also will help us so much to begin to change the way that we think and the way that we look at the world. Okay. The Baal HaSulam says, You should know that the qualities of the wicked person, the Rasha, the Benoni, and the Tzaddik, mentioned in this passage, they do not refer to separate people at all. But all three qualities, this is why, they, this is why the specificity of language in the Talmud, why they say qualities, because all three qualities are to be found within each and every person. <laughs> Unbelievable. We can discern, that because when I was reading it the first time, I was thinking, weren't you? I was thinking in my head, oh, these are three different people. This is a wicked person. This is a Benoni, an intermediate person, a person who is working on becoming a Tzaddik, but he's not quite there yet. And then finally a Tzaddik who has really arrived and who has really got it together. But that's not the case at all. This is qualities, and all three qualities are to be found within each and every person. He says, we can discern these three qualities in every human being. And then he's going to explain to us. During the person's period of concealment of God's face, before the person merits, before they come to this place of a transformation, a change, and by the way, it's really a change in the way they think. 
a transformation from the fear of sin, then he or she is considered as having the quality of the wicked, of the rasha. And, he, and we'll come to an explanation of that. After that, he says, if one is worthy to attain transformation from fear of sin, then that person is considered as having the quality of a benoni, an, in, an intermediate person. When the person merits the transformation, finally, of the love for God in its fourth level, which is eternal love, then they are considered to be a complete tzaddik, or a tzaddik gamul. For this reason, he says, to show that it is referring to different stages of just a single person, the Talmud does not discuss the rasha. It doesn't just say the rasha, or the wicked. Neither does it discuss the benoni, but rather it says the quality of the wicked, or the quality of the benoni. It's very interesting, actually, that he flopped that out to us. That's really something. It changes everything. Now, he says, now remember, he says, we must also remember, he's reminding us of something important here, that it is impossible to attain that fourth level of love, that unconditional eternal love, without previously attaining the perception of the revelation of God's face as being the future destiny for all humanity. Stop right there for just a second. We have to remember that. We didn't mention it when we started. But this is what he was talking about the last time we were together, talking about a person who comes to the level of transformation of the love of God, meaning the second level, the first or the second or the third level. They literally change their status uh, and it literally transforms their sins, their willful sins, into uh, into just being considered as arrogant acts, or, or excuse me, into being considered as inadvertent sins. Okay, inadvertent errors. And it's only the fourth level, which that fourth level is actually a perception on the part of the person that the future destiny for all humanity, for everyone is to come to that level of the perception of the revelation of God's face. Uh, even though we don't see it, even though from a human standpoint, standpoint it appears very unlikely that that's going to happen at any time soon, this is all from a human standpoint. And this is all from our own, this is going to be important, judgmental, actually, attitude, our condemnation, condemning attitude that we have ourselves, which we are going to find out we must dispense with. So, he's saying we can't come to that fourth level of love, and then that's only the place where a tzaddik, at that level of the love of God, that they can tip the scales for the entire world, from liability to merit. Okay? Now, he said, through this perception, through that perception, the person has the ability to tilt the balance of the whole world to the side of merit, as Rabbi Eliezer has said. He says, we have already explained that the revelation of God's face, it transforms all pain and suffering that were, endure, that were endured during the time of concealment, when you were in either double or single concealment, into such wondrous pleasures that a person is actually sorry they didn't suffer more. And you remember the story that the Baha Sulam told us, that parable that he told us about the Jew who wished he'd... Uh, wished he'd suffered more loss because he would have been rewarded so much more. Anyway, so 
And, and that has to do with coming to a level of the perception of God's divine providence that we can look back, even at the time when we were in double or single concealment of his face, and we thought everything was happening uh, just by natural laws or by chance or by luck or whatever. And we can look back now and we can see that Hashem's his finger was guiding us all the way. And he was working everything out, even the very painful things, even the suffering. And it was all meant only for our benefit, only for our good. And we, and we get that. That's that wondrous perception. Okay? Okay. He says, since this is so, we have a question. <laughs> the Baal HaSalam always has a question. Thanks be to God that he almost always has an answer. Okay. Since this is so, he says, we have a question. A man or a woman, when they tilt the balance for themselves to the pan of merit, they certainly remember all of the pain and suffering that they suffered when they were in their state of concealment. So the reality therefore exists that all that pain and suffering can then be transformed into wondrous delight, as we have said. But when the person tilts the balance of the whole world to the pan of merit, how can he or she know the measure of suffering and pain that all the creatures of the world suffer? We only know what we suffered. How can we know what how terrible it is for everybody else. Each person, he says, needs to understand their fellow creatures in order to see how they also can be tilted to the side of merit in just the same way as we describe for a person who tilts the balance for himself or for herself. Okay, let's go on. He's still just talking here right now. He hasn't really explained anything completely yet. We're just working up to it. He goes on and he says there is only one tactic. And what is that? He says in order that the pan of merit for the whole world should not be lacking at the time when a person is in a position to tilt the balance of the world to the side of merit, he said there is no other tactic than to always take care to truly feel the distress of the community. To be, And this has to do also with the transformation of of our will to receive into a will to receive in order to give, in order to be concerned with others. So there is no other tactic than to always take care to truly feel the distress of the community just as a person feels distress over their own troubles. In this way, such a person will feel the pain of liability of the world within them in the same way as they feel their own liability. In other words, they're not just concerned about themselves, they're concerned about everyone. Then, if the person is worthy to tilt the balance for himself or herself to the side of merit, then he or she will also be able to tilt the balance of the whole world to the side of merit and thus become a complete tzaddik, a tzaddik gamul. Now, a complete tzaddik, that is what they do. That is exactly what they do. And this is why, I mean, we could talk about this for so long, about so many of the great rabbis of Israel how they all had this quality, how they all were connected to everyone, how they felt the pain of absolutely everyone. And, and, and yet at the same time, they totally, <coughs> excuse me, they totally had the perception of God's providence as God is good, he does good both to the wicked and to the most righteous. 
this is what we have to understand. Okay, let's go on. Because he says, now we can understand. I hope we can. The words of the Talmud that we looked at before clearly, that, that two-page deal we looked at. If a person did not, this is what the Talmud is trying to tell us, if a person did not distress himself or herself with the sorrow of the community, then even if they arrive at the level of transformation of fear of sin, which is the quality of the, ben- of the Benoni, then Scripture says of them, Behold, joy and gladness, slaying of oxen and killing of sheep. He says, This refers to the blessing of perceiving the world in, or, or one's world, okay, in one's lifetime. I know I left some of this out, but we just didn't have the space. Let me go back. This refers to the blessing of perceiving one's world in one's lifetime. And you remember when we talked about that, that was a blessing that the sages gave to a particular rabbi. And we looked at what that meant. And and as the person sees, oh, he's going to tell us again, the reward of their mitzvot, prepared for him, or or the, the reward that they will get in the world to come, prepared for him or for her in the world to come, then the person is certainly filled with joy and gladness and says to himself or herself, Slay oxen and kill sheep, eat meat and drink wine, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And that is the quality of a Benoni. He said, This is to say that they are filled with great happiness on account of the reward promised them in the world to come. So they say, With great joy, for tomorrow we die. Because what happens then? Then I will collect my reward, beginning my life in the world to come. Is, is what that's exactly what they're saying. Do we are, are we with him so far? I want to make sure we're with him. He's 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 beginning. Oh, I just uh, noticed I misspelled a lot of words there. I'm sorry about that. Uh, he's beginning to uh, to expound exactly what the Talmud is talking about. So, if a person didn't distress himself with the sorrow of the community. He's saying, even if they arrive at the level of transformation of sin, and that level, that is the level of a Benoni, an, in, an intermediate person, an in-between person. So it, with the quality of the Benoni, then Scripture says of them, it's a, this is a good thing. Behold joy and gladness, and we're going to eat, and we're going to drink, for tomorrow we die, and when we die, we'll be able to collect the reward in the life in the world to come. Death is, is, death is not so meaningful to you, by the way, when you reach the level of the transformation of the fear of sin. Okay, let's go on. He has more to tell us. But what is written afterwards, he says? What is written right after that? Then the Lord of hosts revealed himself in my hearing and said, Surely this sin will not be atoned for by you until you die. This is to say that Scripture reproves the person on account of of the inadvertent sins that he or she still has. Remember, at the level of transformation of the fear of sin, all the arrogant acts are just transformed into inadvertent sins. But they're not gone yet. Those inadvertent, those mistakes, all of those uh, non-willful sins, they're still there. They're, They're still on the books. Okay, so... It is reproving the person on account of the inadvertent sins that he or she still has. We have learned, he says, that for one who reaches transformation through fear of sin, the sins that were done out of arrogance are transformed, but only into inadvertent sins. So, since he or she did not feel distress 
on account of the sorrow of, of the community, they cannot merit, they can't come to it yet, to attain the transformation of the love for God. Wherein, if they reach that level, then their sins, the inadvertent sins, would have been transformed into virtues. All right? You still with me? Okay. I hope so. It's a lot to handle all at once. As it is, he says, a person still has his or her inadvertent sins. Why? Because they're only at the quality of a Benoni. So the inadvertent sins are still present. All right? And it's because, the Talmud is saying, it's because they didn't feel the distress of other people's problem, of other people's sin. And so they haven't come to that level of a transformation from the love of God. They're still only involved, that's the key, only involved with their self, with their own situation. That's the only thing that's on their brain. That's the only thing that's in their heart. That's the only thing that concerns them. And they're rejoicing that they got their own situation taken care of. But that transformation, those willful sins have now been transferred just into inadvertent sins. And they're still sins from which is going to be a problem. I mean, it's it's not something that that, uh, Hashem actually overlooks. Uh, There will be a reckoning for them. So a person still has his inadvertent sins as, as like this, which cannot, he says, thus be atoned for during his lifetime. Now I lost my place in my notes here. Let me, let me find it. Okay. Then he says, how will such a person, how will they enjoy their life in the world to come? They won't enjoy it on the same level as they could have. Thus, Scripture says, surely this sin will not be atoned for, until you die. Referring, he says, to the inadvertent sins before the person dies, as their atonement has been prevented. Now the rabbis also tell us that at death, there is an atonement. The the death itself, uh, the the whole process of having to go through death, is an atonement for sins. And the sins that they are talking about are these inadvertent errors, these inadvertent sins. Okay? Alright. Okay, let's go on because I know we're probably running out of time. Yeah, we've got about 20 minutes left, or, or 15. Let's, let's give it our best shot to get as far as we can, where we have some kind of understanding. The Talmud informs us that this is the quality of the Benoni, which is to say that this scripture is dealing with the period of a person's transformation from the fear of sin and onwards, during which time, he or she is called a Benoni, an in-between person. But, now he says, let's talk, let's talk about the quality of the Russia. Concerning the quality of the Russia, the wicked one, what does the scripture say? What are the consequences that follow from that period when the person was immersed in the concealment of God's face that is called the period of the wicked? Now he says, it is clear that transformation from fear of sin does not deal with the person's past before he or she has reached that level of transformation. And so the Talmud brings another scripture. Here it is. And this is the quality of the Rasha. Come you, I will fetch wine, and we will get drunk, and tomorrow shall be like today. Not tomorrow we die, but tomorrow will be like today. Those days and years, the Baha'u says, which were spent, 
in the concealment of God's face, which have not yet been corrected. In other words, all those days and years, they're still counted as accidental sins, as inadvertent errors. He says they have not been corrected, and they are call, and which are called the quality of the evil person or the quality of the rasha. Those those years do not want the person to die. Why? Because they have no part in the world to come after death. They really will be dead, since those days and years, he says, belong to the quality of the rasha that was within him. All right. Very interesting. Hang with it. So, he says, at the very moment that the quality of the Benoni within the person is happy and rejoicing. Why? Because tomorrow we die. Okay? And as soon as we die, we get the reward. And we're not worried at all about dying. Because we're not even thinking about all those years before when we were in concealment. And that we still have these inadvertent errors that must be transformed. Okay? So, tomorrow we die... Uh, that's the quality of the Benoni, and we will then merit the life of the world to come simultaneously at exactly the same moment that that quality is in you. Then simultaneously the quality of the Rasha, the wicked, which is in the person, does not agree, but says, no, tomorrow should be like today. That is to say, he says, that aspect of him or her wants to be happy and stay in this world, live in this world forever. As it still ha because, and why is that? Because it has no part in the world to come. Why? Because the person has still not healed this aspect within himself or herself. As this aspect is only healed by transformation from love for God. Now, I'm, I see I misspell other things too. I'll, I'll eventually run this. But the deal is, is I, that's like at the bottom. I, it should be from love for God. But it says form love for God. So the spell checker doesn't catch that. That means I have to read everything three times. Okay. Anyway. Do we understand what he's saying? And by the way, things are coming you know, to me as we're going along. This is actually why. What, what, how is it the sages put it? The death of a rasha. Okay. The death of that quality of. And it will be the same way in the transformation process also whether it's the physical death or whether it's the transformation uh, that causes the death during this life. The death of the Rasha, he says, is like trying to take a cockleburr from a dog's fur. Okay? You know how a burr can, a cockleburr can get so embedded and it takes you forever and it's hard to get out. That's what the death of the, of the Rasha is. But the death of the Tzaddik is like pulling a hair from milk. He's talking about removing the soul from the body in this case. But it's, it's also the same as we are going along in this life and moving up and trying to move from a Benoni to a Tzaddik. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. The Rasha dies very hard. It's very difficult. And, <coughs> but the Tzaddik, he dies very easily, both physical death and, and in this world uh, it, during life. Why? Because he has... A, a, a Benoni even has no fear of death. It's the Russia, the quality of the Russia that's still within the Benoni. That's what fears death. And that's what makes people afraid to literally die. Uh, is that thing. Because that, that has no place in the world to come. That quality has no place in the world to come. Okay? Alright. I hope everyone's still with me. We're talking some very, very high <laughs> understanding of some things here. But I think... The vast majority of us have enough experience in studying the sages and also experience in life that we can 
we can plug some of these things in and hopefully keep them and maintain them and think about them all the time and think about Hashem and uh, and the way we are walking. Okay, let's move on. I'll try to hurry. He says, the Talmudic passage concludes, how does it conclude? The tzaddik perishes. In other words, he says, the aspect of the complete tzaddik, which the person should merit, (coughs) excuse me, is lost to them. Lost to him or to her. And then it says, and no man takes it to heart. It is because of the evil, the rasha, that the tzaddik died. Because the person at the intermediate level of Benoni did not feel the pain of the community, then he or she cannot merit the transformation through love for God because of that omission. Transformation through loving God would transform what? One's arrogant acts, not just inadvertent sins, but into virtues. And one's evil actions into great joys. But instead, all the mistakes that the person made and the evils that were suffered before the person reached transformation through fear of sin, they're still in existence. They still exist within, within him or within her. In the aspect of the quality of the rasha, now look what that quality is. Listen. Which feels badly on account of God's providence. And, is, and it is because of these bad feelings. He'll define that more in a minute of these bad feelings which he or she still experiences, that the person is is not able to merit the state of the complete tzaddik. What are those bad feelings? He says, (coughs) excuse me, oh, excuse me, I I flipped too quick. Hold on. Let's go back. No, I didn't. Okay. Bear with me. You know, from time to time, I become confused in the process of this, trying to keep the notes at the same speed as the presentation. Okay. Now he says, this is what Torah means when it says, and no man takes it to heart. This is what the scripture means. This means that the man or the woman does not notice that because of the evil, which is what? Namely, those bad feelings that they still have from the past with respect to God's providence, that the tzaddik is lost. Meaning the aspect of the person that is the tzaddik, that quality of the tzaddik within them, is lost. And the person will die and will leave this world as only a benoni. All this comes about, he says as whoever does not feel sorrow over the suffering of the community does not merit to see its consolation because they were not able to tip the balance for the community to the side of merit and witness their consolation. Thus such a person can never actually attain the aspect of the tzaddik. What does he mean these bad feelings? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about maybe it was a tragedy that occurred in your life. And you chalked that tragedy up to uh, to uh, the Satan or to chance. Maybe you still have that understanding. Maybe maybe you have the understanding now. You've come to this transformation through the fear of sin. And you're beginning to really correct your will to receive for yourself alone. And you're beginning to understand more and more every day, as we all are, the great, wonderful, divine providence 
but still in your past there were incidences where someone wronged you or where something terrible happened and you still may maybe you have a bad feeling over it maybe you have hard feelings over it maybe you even have hard feelings towards God over it that's what he's talking about and this is what the Talmud the, the sages of the Talmud are trying to tell us that is the quality of the Rasha of the evil of, the, of a wicked person that's still within us because it actually if we understand God's providence correctly it's wicked to think those things it's not it's it borders on idolatry to think that there is any other power in the universe period that operates uh, without him that operates independently of him this is what this is really what he is trying to talk about so that all has to be included let's go on and see if we can finish at least to a place where I'm ready to start the next time we're together. Okay, I'll hurry. Okay. All right. There is no one in the world, he says, born of a woman who does not have in potential the three qualities that we have mentioned, namely the quality of the Russia, the quality of the Benoni, and the quality of the Tzaddik. They are called qualities because they stem from the quality of the person's perception of God's providence. As the rabbis of the Talmud have said, as a man perceives, so others perceive him. Those who perceive the quality of God's providence, I'm hurrying, as in the aspect of the concealment of God's face, they are considered as having the quality of the Rasha. Whether incompletely wicked, as in single concealment, or completely wicked, as in double concealment, this is because according to their perception and their feeling, God conducts the world with a providence that is not good. They indict themselves. Now here's another part of that that's very enlightening to us. They indict themselves when they receive affliction and pain from God's providence, and they feel badly the whole day long. They are further most condemning. Ooh, wow, ooh, ah. They are most condemning, here we come to this judgmental thing, in that they think that everyone else in the world suffers in the same way from God's poor supervision because he doesn't know how to manage things. Isn't that suddenly something? But we do it. Thus, he says, those who perceive divine providence only from the point of view of concealment, in other words, that he's not involved, they are called wicked. In Hebrew, Russia. Okay, are they are also called people who condemn? And there's a play on words here. I underlined, and I should have put it in Hebrew, but I'm not sure all of you have uh, a Hebrew-capable computer, so I didn't want just a bunch of symbols to come up there. But harshia, it comes from the same root. That is people people who are uh, have a judgmental attitude. People who condemn others very quickly are called harshia. All right, and the Baha Sulam says, understand this. Understand this. This is probably the most important point, and we've come to the end, and we don't really have time to go over it. Maybe we'll start here. Why don't we do that? Uh, why, don't, why don't we do that the next time we're together, which I'm unfortunately, I have to tell you, won't be until the 18th of February. If I'm reading the calendar correctly, let me put on my glasses. Yeah, it looks like the 18th of February, uh, simply because of uh, so many other commitments that I have. Y'all know that. 
and you'll just have to forgive me. But let's 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 stop right here. And the reason I want to stop right here is simply because, and let me mark my spot, simply because I want us to be able to uh, to be able to tie everything together. And this will be a, a good place for us to be able to review a little bit and then really begin. Plus, we've I've already given us way too much to to think about for at least a couple of weeks here. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, so this is where we'll start the next time we're together. Okay, I I um, I hope um, I felt feel a little funny tonight because we jumped into into this big deal about the quality of a Russia and a, a Benoni and a Tzaddik and and this very difficult passage in the Talmud. And I'm not sure I I uh, did it justice, but I'm just going. Uh, uh, let's see, this is so fast. Is there notes or a book? To, for review during the week, you know, actually, I'm using as a textbook Rabbi Ashlag's uh, uh, "Climbing the Ladder." Let me in the shadow of the ladder. I'm sorry, in the shadow of the ladder, which is introductions to Kabbalah by Rabbi Yehuda Lev Ashlag. In the shadow of the ladder, uh, if you if you can lay your hands on that book, I'm not sure if Noahide Nations may even sell it. Uh, but that would be an excellent, excellent volume for you to get a hold of because we're taking all of this right out of there. And, uh, okay, so uh, I, I recommend that to you, uh, Billy. And uh, anyway, so I'm not sure I did this justice, but slowly, slowly, we'll, we'll get it together. And we'll go over it and go over it and go over it again until we begin to get it together, okay? Uh, anyway. I hope uh, more than we are enjoying it, I hope that it's it's beginning to change the way we look at the world. It's beginning to change the way we we think about, about Hashem and about how He runs the world. And it's beginning to change the way we think about other human beings. I hope so. Anyway, okay, we'll stop right there. I'll be with you again with God's help. And God willing, I'll be with you on Wednesday, 8 o'clock, February the 18th. And then we'll be together for at least three three weeks there. And we should be able to do some good study. Okay. Toda Rabbah to each and every one of you. Shalom Uvrakah to you. Uh, peace and a blessing. Bye-bye. Shalom, shalom.